0: Well, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people that went on a vacation. And they allowed one of their children, or maybe all of their children, to bring one of their friends with them. And uh, I myself recall taking trips with, uh, with families where one of the family members, one of the children, invited me to go along with them. And then as I got older, there are times that I took a trip with one of my friends, uh, Ed Medford, who lives in Hickman County now, teaches at uh, Hickman County High School. He and I took a trip uh, when we were in college at MTSU. We went to Phoenix uh, to the Fiesta Bowl one year. And uh, and you talk about a road trip, and then the times I've taken road trips, I've taken a couple with some people to uh, to Casper, Wyoming, and back. And uh, and but one that sticks out in particular that was just so much fun was with a friend named Carl Siler. And uh, Carl is now a teacher up in uh, over in Rutherford County. But uh, when we were in school at MTSU, he had a sister who lived at the southern end of Lake Michigan in Chesterton, Indiana. And so uh, Carl and I took a trip uh, and and he, he drove like an old Ford LTD or something like that. But the two of us took a trip up to northern Indiana. And uh, what an experience that was, just memories that we made that uh, that i 'll remember the rest of my life, and the fun that we got to have in chicago and And so, I say all that to say that what we are going to read about this morning uh, and I, I think we reduce it if we call it a road trip or a buddy trip. But we see where two people set out on uh, a bit of an adventure together, not knowing, I'm sure, exactly what that was going to look like, exactly what they were going to experience. But nonetheless, in faith, they set out on an adventure together. You see the map up on the screen, and this is a map that uh, many of you have uh At least I think some of you have, uh, I've I've heard rumor that some of you have maps in the backs of your Bibles, a bunch of liberals, (laughs) kidding, kidding. And, uh, but this is, uh, you, you see those maps that say Paul's missionary journeys. And so this morning in the book of Acts we read about that first journey. And so I invite you to join me in... Uh, In Acts chapter 13, actually we're going to read the last verse right above that of Acts chapter 12 verse 25. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off so they are fasting and they are praying. And I've mentioned before in talking about fasting that fasting is usually not done as a stand-alone endeavor. That fasting comes with praying. They go hand in hand. And And so here they are gathered and they are fasting and praying and the Holy Spirit speaks to them. We don't know what that exactly looked like. We just know that they heard that there was a a clear uh, idea that Paul and Barnabas were selected. Now, if you were here last week or had a chance to watch the video of last week, we talked about... uh, about Barnabas. And at this point, he's, we're about to see that he's named Paul, but still going by Saul. And so the fact that Barnabas goes to Antioch and spends a year with Saul. And so, uh, and so these guys have spent a year together. Now, a year learning together, talking together, praying together. There's no question that they have had significant time to get to know one another very well. And so that year together in Antioch has prepared them for what is about to take place. And so they are sent off together. Verse 4, The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word, the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. Now I'll mention that when that reference to John, that's John Mark. That's not the Apostle John. Uh, so John Mark is there with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent from Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elemas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, Filled with the Holy Spirit, looking straight at Elimas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun." immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand when the proconsul saw what had happened he believed for he was amazed at the teaching about the lord so this proconsul who is a very high ranking official within the roman empire the proconsul sins for Paul and Barnabas because he hears that they're in town and he wants to hear what they've got to say and so once again and this is not going to be an isolated incident we will see throughout the remainder of the book of Acts because from this point forward Paul and his ministry are the focus of the book of Acts and so we will see going forward uh, now named Paul Uh, uh, But we will see opposition to his ministry time and time and time again. Now, if you were here last week or had a chance to watch the video, opportunity, uh, excuse me, I gave it away. Opposition creates what, church? Opportunity, Opportunity, that's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, right here, we see how bold Paul can be. Now, you think, if I was going to take a trip somewhere, and one of you were with me, and the two of us were fasting and praying, and we were, we were spending time together studying God's word, And whatever it was that we were going to do on that trip, but if we had spent basically a year getting ready for that, do you think we'd be prepared? Probably so. And so it's no accident that these two men were together in Antioch for a solid year before embarking on this journey. And so they are ready. They are prepared for things that they, again, they have no idea what is going to stand in their way. They know there's going to be obstacles in the way. Uh, Just traveling back in the first century uh, was an adventure in and of itself with all the things that could possibly go wrong on ships and on foot. But nonetheless... They are taking on this adventure. Now I want us to move uh, down to uh, uh, chapter 14, uh, verse 21. Chapter 14, verse 21. Uh, They have been in these towns of Lystra and Derbe. Now, something that's interesting about the towns of Lystra and derby they were off, they were small towns, they were off the regular trade route. And these are towns that did not have a Jewish synagogue. That was the natural place for Paul to go with all of his history, uh, with the Jewish faith, with the Jewish religion, and the natural place for him to go was to the synagogue, and to start, make that the jumping off point for his teaching in that particular community. But now he's going to these towns that do not have Jewish synagogues. Now there's a signal for us there, because without Jewish synagogues it means these are very pagan places in what would be modern day Turkey and so and so that is where they have been and so now they're going to go back the way they came because they did find believers and people who were willing to listen to them in these pagan communities verse 21 in Acts 14 they preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith so they went back Back, kind of through some of the places they had already been, and just to encourage and reinforce them. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church. And with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord, in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. From Atalia they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed." So the journey is drawing to a close. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. And so... When the preacher of the Hohenwald Church of Christ comes back from one of his trips to Honduras, uh, what does he do? Uh, He reports to the church, whether it be on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night. I stand before this body. And I've got slides, I show you pictures, and I tell stories about these are some of the things that we encountered. It breaks my heart. Reading this this week, preparing for this morning, church family, it breaks my heart. Because the last two summers, I've had three people from this body ready to go with me. And ready for an adventure. uh, Ready for their first trip to Central America and all that that entails. And both times, uh, we've had to cancel that trip. Uh, But God willing, a group from here will go to Honduras in 2021. And so uh, we get uh, the current pandemic behind us are stable to a point where international travel can take place once again. But yes, so uh, the, the practice of returning to the church that sent you off and, and reporting on everything that had happened has been going on for close to 2,000 years, church. And the idea that two of these folks went together, and that really is the focus of what I want to talk about this morning. Because as Jerry read from Proverbs uh, some time ago, uh, it's probably been at least a couple of years now. I did a series on Sunday mornings on relationships, and we looked at at relationships with family. We looked at relationships with friends. We looked at relationships uh, with coworkers. And we looked at different aspects of our relationships through a Christian lens. And that was a verse that we said together every Sunday morning for about a month. Proverbs 27.17 As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Now, there's a verse out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 33 where Paul writes to the folks in Corinth, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And some translations will say bad company uh, uh, corrupts uh, good morals. But whether it's good morals, whether it's good character, uh, what God's Word teaches us is that the company we keep matters. Uh, If we're not capable of being a strong influence on someone else, then they just might be a strong influence on us. And if they're a strong influence on us, don't we want that influence to be a godly influence, church? Because Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 15, he's actually quoting uh, quoting a Greek poet when he says this that bad company corrupts good character. And he's saying, you know, if you're not careful, if you're hanging around with the wrong folks and you let them be an influence, then you can be corrupted by that. So this idea of having someone else that you partner with, someone else that you're close to, is certainly not a new idea. In... In Luke chapter 10, uh, it says, well actually I'll start in Mark chapter 6 verse 7. uh, We we read that Jesus gathered the twelve. So he's gathering the apostles and he sent them out, we read, two by two. And then in Luke chapter 10 verse 1, it says that he appointed 72 more disciples. And he sent them out two by two. So we see examples there. First sending out the twelve and then doing it now with, with 72 more people who are willing to go out and talk to people. But what happens in both instances, church? They're sent out in pairs of two. Two. God did not design us to go it alone. That we were wired, we were designed to have someone else with us. Someone else who can be our accountability partner. Someone else that knows us well enough that they can be straight up honest. And that, that we're not going to get our feelings hurt. Get our feathers ruffled, so to speak, somebody who can shoot us straight and say, Listen, you know you need to hear this because this is what you 're doing, or you need to hear this because this is what you 're not doing, and so uh, in in the book uh, pastor paul uh, Scott McKnight, I just finished this this past week. It came out earlier this year and it's, uh, it's an excellent book. But he talks about three aspects of Christian friendships. First is the aspect of presence. Not something you've heard about, you're hearing about for the first time. We've talked before on at least a couple of different occasions about the importance of the ministry of Presence. That you cannot be completely effective in someone else's life unless you are present with them. That there is a value to physical presence. Another thing is the idea of advocacy. Now if someone is your advocate, what are they doing on your behalf? They're speaking on your behalf. They are taking up for you. Uh, have you ever been in a, a situation where someone else, it helped that someone else had your back, so to speak? I know I have. And so, someone who is a good enough friend to you that they will have your back. If someone else is being critical of you, that they will stand up and say, hey, that's not fair, uh, and then they will, they will set the record straight. Someone who will speak for you on your behalf, that through the lens of Christian friendships, uh, these things matter. Uh, by the way, the title of this message is Life with Friends, Part 1. So you know what's coming next week, right church? Church? Uh, life with friends part two of course so you want someone who will be present but there again at the flip side of that coin is you have to be present for them as well it's a two way street because if you're relying on someone else and they cannot rely on you that's not a friendship that's you're a user and that is not Christ like behavior and so, uh, the, the idea of physical presence, the idea of advocacy, but also the idea of direction. Now, of course, Paul and Barnabas, in their situation, direction is literal because they, they were going somewhere together physically. But, you might hear direction. As much as presence and advocacy might make sense... In modern day friendships, you might wonder, what does direction mean? Shouldn't all of our lives have direction? We don't want to be stagnant people. Shouldn't we always be people who are learning new things? Shouldn't we always be people who are growing? You think specifically about our faith. We should always be people who are being transformed. That we are constantly getting better at dying to the old self and becoming a new creation. I was very visually reminded of that last Sunday when Daniel put on Christ in baptism. Because that's exactly what baptism does for us. Is we leave the old self down in that water. It represents death burial and resurrection to new life and so we leave the old self in the water scripture tells us that we are a new what church creation when we put on Christ in baptism and so that doesn't baptism is not the end-all be-all you've heard that before It is merely what, church? It's the starting point. It's where our faith journey truly begins. And so from that point forward, are you going to have derailments and setbacks? Of course you are, because you're human. But the Christian life, the Christian walk should be one in which we are going somewhere. We are consistently and constantly, perpetually being transformed a little more each day into the image of Christ. Think about your own life for a minute. Look back on who you were 20 years ago. Are you a different person now? I sure hope so if you haven't changed in 20 years we, we gotta get you gotta get you going Okay, 20 years is a long time to be the exact same person if you read scripture the exact same way you did 20 years ago if you react to adversity or negativity the exact same way you did 20 years ago uh, then, then that's a problem that's a problem Think about who you were ten years ago. What was that stage of your life like? Think about where you were five years ago. Now, think about where you've come in just the last one to two years. Maybe for some in the last six months. How do you react to obstacles in your way? How do you react to bad news? Oh... Just talking about this, I think, boy, there are times I get it right. There are times I fall flat on my face. But opposition or adversity creates opportunity. We cannot control what happens to us, but we can certainly control how we respond, how we react. And it is in our reactions... That people will most clearly be able to see the image of Christ in us. If and only if we're prepared to show them the image of Christ. And so uh, I want us to think about that in terms of our lives. I want us to think about the idea of the importance of having someone else with us. That we were not designed to go it alone. That we've got someone that we count on. Someone that we can be present in their lives and they can be present in ours. Someone that will have our back and we in turn can have their back. Presence and advocacy and then that there is also a sense of direction. That our lives together, because we sharpen each other, because we strengthen each other, that our lives are consistently over time being transformed. Because life in Christ requires us to change. We can never say that too much, church family. Life in Christ requires us to change. If we're unwilling to change, to truly die to the old self, then that is a big problem. And that leads to a potential reckoning. No. Die to the old self. Live as a new creation. In just a short while, we're going to offer the invitation... But right now, Steve is going to lead us in a song that is going to prepare us for gathering around this table. I'll be back with you in just a few minutes.